Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I had intended to talk about the economy. And I want to talk about the economy. There's a string of layoffs. Amazon laying off like 15,000 people. I want to get there. But uh, I I want to talk about something else first. And I'm going to record this video and tell Philip just here in my monologue, this is something he's going to need to figure out how to push out to people. DeMar Hamlin, the NFL player for the Bills who fell over dead on the field, his heart stopped. Um, They were able to resuscitate him, revive him, get him to the hospital. His heart stopped again. And there were a lot of people who immediately concluded that it must be the COVID vaccine or maybe it was the COVID vaccine or why shouldn't we ask the question? So many people are concerned about it. And it doesn't appear that it had anything related to do with COVID or the COVID vaccine uh, from the actual doctors treating him. And what I find interesting here is there's an entire movement of people on social media saying, well, we can't really believe those people because that's the prevailing narrative and they want us to believe that that's the case. Uh, And people are being induced to believe lies. And my frustration with this is that it's people on my side of the aisle doing it. And I think we have to be intellectually honest. And I think the truth matters. And when you believe the random person on the internet who has not come into contact with DeMar Hill, who has not treated him, who has not direct knowledge of his injuries and what happened, who is telling you it had to be the COVID vaccine versus the doctors who actually saw him and treated him and said it wasn't anything to do with anything like that. And you're not willing to believe those doctors because the anonymous person you don't really know on the internet tells you not to believe them. There's a real problem. One of the things I have seen routinely, and I've talked about this before and I've got to do it again, is this data that 1,598 athletes had cardiac arrest since January of 2021, 69% of them fatal. We've had people call this program about that. I've had people get emails to me. I, I see someone I know and respect on Twitter saying this, 1,598 athletes. And it's not true. I want to be very clear with you here. The COVID vaccine can cause myocarditis, a a heart inflammation problem, and other problems related to the heart can actually cause it. It is a minority of cases, however. And in fact, you're more likely to have heart problems from COVID than you are from the vaccine. All of that is true. It is one of the things that frustrates me about the medical health community is they're not willing to acknowledge this truth, which allows the conspiracy theorists to overplay their hand on this. But let's focus on this because I've seen the video circulated of the people falling over on the field saying it was not true. For perspective, I live in Georgia. I think it was in 2015. In 2015, in one summer, in one three-month period, three High school football players dropped dead on the football field in Georgia. That was pre-COVID. Three. It was heat stroke, all three of them. Uh, Actually, no, I take one of them. One was sudden cardiac arrest. The other two were heat stroke. And Georgia had to pass a law to require CPR training for coaches and defibrillator machines on fields. Three of them dropped over dead. What's unfortunate is that one of those deaths was included in the statistic in the video because it was caught on film of people showing these people falling over dead on field. Say this didn't happen before COVID. Actually, 
it happened way more common than you might think. But because no one was focused on it at the time, because it was a rather routine thing that happened, sad to use the word routine there, but it is something that happens, no one focused on it. Now there's a lot of focus from vaccine skeptics and the anti-vax crowd trying to claim the vaccine is causing all of this and they're overplaying their hand on this. They, oh, people are trying to normalize athletes dropping dead on the field. Actually, yes, because it actually is more common than you think. But that statistic, 1,598 athletes dying, it comes from a letter to the editor in a Scandinavian journal of immunology co-authored by Dr. Peter McCullough. And he wrote from January 2021 to the time of writing, 1,598 athletes suffered cardiac arrest, 1,101 of which with deadly outcomes, notably in a 38-year time span from 1966 to 2004, 1,101 athletes under the age of 35 died due to various heart-related conditions, 50% of whom had congenital anatomical heart disease and cardiomyopathies, and 10% had uh, atherosclerotic heart disease with early onset. In other words, according to Dr. McCullough, you have all these people who suddenly dropped dead after January of 2021, and it had to be the COVID vaccine. He got this from an anti-vax COVID conspiracy website. If you actually look at the data of the website, and I have, and I'm reminded of it because a doctor named Dr. Eric Burnett has gone through again. There are a couple of things you need to know about this. Even if you believe it's true, just will you hear me out, please? The data is specifically 1,598 athletes. The problem is with the study cited from 1966 until the mid-2000s covered athletes under the age of 35. You have to also take into account population growth during that time, which no one has done. Just to get statistical patterns here, there are more athletes now than there were in 1966. So, of course, the number is going to go up. But also, what about those? The study was under 35. Let me give you the list. This is, the, from, this is where Dr. McCullough gets the 1,598. He gets it from a website um, called Good Science. It is an anti-vaccine blog. It doesn't give you an inclusion-exclusion criteria. Here is a list of the people considered to have died. One is a 27-year-old sprinter. Do you know how this guy died of sudden cardiac arrest? A gunshot wound to the head. Committed suicide. I'm not making that up. That's actually one of the people listed in the 1,598 a 27-year-old sprinter who committed suicide by putting a bullet through his head. Another is a 24-year-old cyclist from New Zealand. She's an Olympic cyclist, committed suicide. Another of those athletes under 35 who had sudden cardiac uh, death was a 49-year-old from Indiana, Robert Pettigrew, died in a car accident. Also a 17-year-old high school basketball player fell over dead by drowning in a tub, hot tub. There's a 24-year-old soccer player who got myocarditis and died, but he got it after COVID, not after the vaccine. There's another 26-year-old soccer player. He died, but from leukemia. 
It's a 16-year-old hockey player who had myocarditis following COVID. He didn't die, however. He's on the list of 1,598, and he got it from COVID, not from the COVID vaccine, as far as we know. Also, there's another one, uh, a runner from Devon, England. He's the founder of a tough marathon. He he died, uh, but he was 69. He wasn't under 35, and he literally did fall over dead by falling off a cliff. Not making that up. So this is my point here. I know many of you believe that the COVID vaccine is causing people to fall over dead. And I know for a lot of people, it's a by faith proposition at this point. You just believe it to be true. And you're only going to listen to the people who say it is true. And that's fine. But I just, when I look at my faith in Christ and believe that he is real and resurrected, I believe in the eyewitness testimony of the Gospels. The book of Mark was actually the account of the Apostle Peter, written by John Mark, who was his scribe. Some people say that the second Peter probably wasn't written by Peter because it was written in a different way, but if you follow the history of Peter, he had a different scribe with him. By the time that was done, Peter doesn't appear to have been a fully literate man able to write out all these letters, so he relied on John Mark and another scribe. Uh, The book of Matthew is actually based on Mark's account, an expanded version, and it's from the Apostle Matthew. The book of Luke was by a doctor who interviewed the eyewitnesses. The book of John by the Apostle John, we don't dispute that. The books of of Paul, the epistles, they're written by Paul. Nobody disputes that. James was written by, by the brother of Jesus. Jude written by the brother of Jesus. These were eyewitnesses. And their accounts corroborate. And we have eyewitnesses to those eyewitnesses. We have Polycarp and we have Ignatius. They were students of the Apostle John. We have Clement, who's referenced by Paul in in Philippians. Clement was actually tied to an anchor and thrown into the sea by the Romans because he refused to reject Jesus as having been resurrected. He knew the apostles. We know that Clement knew Paul and Peter. I didn't know these people, but I have a record, and I see all these people were willing to die to profess Jesus as the risen Lord. And so I put my faith in this, but there is a lot of evidence. There's more written about the life of Christ and his resurrection closer in time than we have for Nero. We don't dispute uh, Julius Caesar's invasion or history of the Gallic campaigns, even though the closest copy we have was written 950 years after. We just trust that the translations were accurate over time. We have more translations and, and more copies of the New Testament letters written closer in time to the resurrection of Christ than we do for anything written about the emperor Nero. In fact, we've got uh, new copies of the New Testament written within about a f- 150 years of Christ. So I have a rational, reasonable belief, but yes, it is by faith. I believe it to be true. And I trust the people who also believe it is true to give me the truth. Some of you have a by faith belief that yes, COVID, the vaccine is causing people to fall over dead. And yes, it is true that there have been instances of myocarditis and heart attack from people who got it. There, I know more than one person who had heart problems within days of getting the vaccine. But now I also know people who think a heart problem that came a year after the vaccine must have been the vaccine as opposed to might be something else. All I want you to do is to understand, however, that there are always the malcontents, the hucksters, the shysters, and the fraudsters 
and you've got to be willing to weed those people out. If you by faith truly believe these things, there are plenty of accounts of Christ in the Gnostic Gospels that we know are not true and they purport to be true. And the church spent a lot of time weeding those out so people would not rely on those false gospels that claim to have also had eyewitnesses accounts of Christ. And one of the reasons we know they're not real is because the early church fathers who did know the apostles condemned them and did not rely on them. And all I'm telling you is if you're going to circulate this account of 1,598 athletes under the age of 35 fell over dead, and you're going to believe by faith that it is the vaccine that did it. You at least need to know that underneath that 1,598 people, we know that a lot of them were over the age of 35. One of them who fell over dead literally fell off a cliff and died. Many of them did not have heart attacks but put bullets in their brains. And you need to know that. I'm not going to try to persuade you that COVID's not causing people to fall over dead, and I'm not going to try to persuade you that uh, it it is the equivalent of the left saying, well, this shooter must have been a Republican. After any shooting, that's what the left does, and now after anybody falls over in cardiac distress, immediately there's a rush on the right to say it must be the vaccine. But I want you to know that a lot of the rumors and the premises are based on a list from a website and in that list of people claiming to be people who fell over dead of sudden cardiac arrest after getting the vaccine, you have people who committed suicide, people who drowned in hot tubs, people who fell off cliffs, people who were in car wrecks, and people who, yes, did, myo, get, did get myocarditis and die from heart attacks, but from COVID, not from the vaccine. If you're going to believe something is true, None of us can persuade you from believing it. But please at least get the facts right and understand where your data comes from. Because the data on this 1,598 people, athletes under 35, is a deeply flawed list that is not true. And the accompanying video that circulates that shows these athletes on the field dying includes a lot of video from a lot of people who died well before COVID was even a thing. The facts really do matter, even in faith. And your faith will be stronger if you actually have evidence for it, as opposed to just anonymous people on Twitter who are pushing an agenda of their own. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L. Andbranch.com. The promo code is Eric, E R I C K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, the promo code ERIC. 
Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, happy to have you. This is probably one of the most interesting stories of the day, and it's not getting a lot of play because it's uh, distracted by everything else happening. But uh, the FTC wants to ban non-compete agreements. Employers wouldn't be able to impose a non-compete and past ones would be rescinded. Uh, Lena Khan, the chair of the FTC, says non-competes undermine competition and competitive conditions. So what is this about? For those of you who don't know what a non-compete is, let me explain. Uh, many businesses will hire people. And once hired, we'll say, if you leave me, you cannot go work for a competitor for a certain amount of time. In some cases, it's dependent on geography and scope of time. So you can say you can't go work for anyone in the field for six months. You can't go work for anyone in the field in this area for two years. A lot of doctor's practices have this for cardiologists and the like that you can't be a cardiologist in this area for two years uh, working for a competitor, there's a geographic area. I've got a, a non-compete that uh, limits me in the Atlanta area where my flagship station is. Uh, I, I used to work for a company that had a non-compete that I couldn't go work for any other company in the same industry for three months anywhere in the nation. And then within six months, within a 100-mile radius of that company and within two years for anyone within 50 miles of that company. And that was a way to limit you from being wooed by others. And essentially what happens is when you have non-competes that are gone away, you're not necessarily stealing. It's still against the law to take a trade practice. Like if I acquire insider knowledge of a company, I cannot take that insider knowledge to another business and give it to them for money. That is against the law regardless. What has happened, though, in California, which bans non-compete agreements, is in the tech industry, it's why employees get paid more because you do acquire certain skills. A company pours their time, talent, and treasure into training you in a certain way, and then you pack up and carry that uh, training to another company. That company is willing to pay you a pretty penny that actually is offset by they don't have to pay all the costs of teaching you. That becomes valuable. And that's where the FTC is going to try to meaningfully benefit employees and give them a bigger seat at the bargaining table. I'm not sure it's a good idea, though. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-972-7425. Trying to do like three things at once. I'm sorry. It's just one of those days. I've also got a guest trying to get everything ready for him, too, because my goodness, uh, he is just, I, I, I feel really, really bad for the 20 members who are doing the right thing, standing up to uh, Kevin McCarthy. I think it's the right thing to do uh, on principle and, and on the merits. And it just, I mean, honestly, the way I see it, looking at Kevin McCarthy willing to give away the kitchen sink just so he can sit in the speaker's chair is one of the reasons you really don't want him in the speaker's chair. Um, when you're willing to say or do anything, just there's no principle involved. And that's frustrating to me. One of the people who actually has real principles about this issue is my next guest, Congressman Bishop of North Carolina, member of the House Freedom Caucus. How are you? I'm great, Eric. And can I just say, uh, don't feel sorry for me. This is an honor of a lifetime to fight for change finally in Congress on behalf of the American people. And one other quick thing to say is, 
you know, I, uh, I've been following you not only in this debate, but for a number of years before I went to the state legislature. And I appreciate your, that you're a man of principle. And, you know, in this process, a lot of people wring their hands and panic over a couple, three days. And the work we've been doing up leading up into this for six months that we've been doing, uh, finally to get a conversation about it. And unfortunately, a lot of the folks who ought to be cheering us on the hardest uh, have uh, have failed the moment that arri- has arrived. And you did not. And uh, well, you've been clear and, and straightforward and, and correct about the issue. I appreciate it very much. And I just I, I'm a little bit frustrated with some of my friends on our side who usually line up where you and I are, who are, are on the leadership side for reasons I can't imagine. Um but it, it, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do to them what I think they're they're doing to you and, and Congressman Roy, who's a longtime right. friend of mine. I've known him forever. Um, and, but l- let me just ask you: you 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 are getting on a daily basis now beat up. I, I see this Fox News story that I'm told by your staff isn't true that you will quit Congress if Kevin McCarthy is elected <laughs> Speaker. Uh, I mean, they're just throwing stuff out there. Well, I mean, they 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 have distorted and, and reported incorrectly something I said in a press gaggle outside the chamber uh, last night where I said, look, I'm, I don't hit there saying, you know, what, what do you want? out of the I said, I don't want any most empowering thing in Washington is I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I just want to make change up here for the American people. If this place can't be changed, I'm out of here. That just means that just means I'm not going to stay up here for, in fact, I said it for decades. Uh, you know, just uh, toiling on a wheel that's not getting anywhere. We're here to do something, and that's what all this is about. So when Fox News reported that, said I was going to resign, <laughs> I didn't get my way. We've corrected it, and that didn't stop Eric Swalwell from uh, quote tweeting the lie for his fourth purposes. <laughs> that's that's what Washington is like, as you well know. Okay, so let, let, let's I, – I, I get the sense. I, I know there are some uh, – my friend Lauren Boebert and others are very much – we don't want Kevin McCarthy. doesn't matter what the deal is. But then there are friends of mine like Chip Roy who's like, if we can get a really good deal that stops the legislation by crisis that we've been in for the last decade, I'll take it. Uh, where are you in the mix on this? Uh, I haven't said and I won't say because I think it damages the – process to put all that on the line, necess- you know, clearly. I, I would just say, you know, both both are very respectable points of view. I, reasonable people can differ, and someone can say, in fact, the really tough part of this is if, you're, if you need someone of conviction to go to the mat for the American people to, to, to lead the Republicans to do stuff during this Congress, you know, you'd like to have an ideally a certain person, type of person to do that. If you don't, can you build safe, safeguards and rules and processes and spread personnel throughout various committees and so forth in order to try to get to a similar spot or accomplish the same objective? That's a fair question to ask. It is a very tough thing to do. Right. Um, but, you know, I believe, I believe you've got to have two indispensable things. Courage, that's really lacking up here. And second, uh, uh, persistent, reasonable, working with other people because this is a place that operates by collaboration among people. And that's what I'm going to do. I am not going to be intimidated, and I'm not going to be told because this is the pecking order that gets turned a notch, and that's always how it works, that you've got to do that, and you've got to cast your vote for it or we'll destroy you. I'm not going to put – I will never – 
not in a million years would I knuckle onto that. To that. Well, and, you know, I should probably clarify on, on uh, Congressman Roy. I, I actually, so Chip and I have known each other so long, Congressman, I don't talk to him about this stuff because if I say something right. on radio, it's like Jim DeMint. Uh, he's going to get attacked if I say something because people are going to think it came from him. So I haven't talked to him. My impression has been there are things he wants that if he gets, he would go along with McCarthy. Uh, and, and there are some who it doesn't matter what McCarthy gave wouldn't I'm kind of I'm personally in the I've never been a I I think he's just so much of an opportunist I wouldn't trust him if he gave me the deal just just so you know where I am um let me tell you where I am because Chip Roy is an absolute gift to this country yes he's he is you just can't say enough good things about Chip and I don't just go around saying that right yeah, uh, listen, I mean, yeah, I think if he were speaker, uh, we, we wouldn't be in this business. Well, <laughs> one of the issues here, and this, I have talked to Chip in the past, not not in this fight, but I did hear him talk about this on the floor yesterday. Fifteen years ago, we were not constantly fighting with, uh, oh, the government's going to shut down unless we pass this million-page bill that no one's seen. Oh, we're going to hit the debt ceiling if we don't do this. That leadership waits until the crisis comes and then forces a multi-thousand-page bill on members. They don't have time to read it and says, if we don't do this in the next 24 hours, disaster comes. That's not the way for Congress to legislate, it seems to me. And this open process that all of you have talked about just seems to be the way to get back to normal legislating. You're correct, sir. And and it is difficult. But what you just described, which is, as you say, uh, has been at least 15 years. It may have been longer than that, that that you just do that. That That is a handful, frankly, of about four or five people dictating government. It's not a Republican form of government. And it's dangerous. And it serves, it never serves the American people. It serves, you know, they, you, they monetize, they put legislation on the floor, they get contributions from lobbyists, they monetize it, they pump that back into the election cycle so that your choice is between a leftist and some squish that will never stand up and repeat, rinse and repeat. And and, you know, I've, I've had, Eric, I've had, and of course I will say most of the responses from out there have been supported, especially the ones that are particularly gratifying, but I've had no shortage of uh, people sending in and saying, what do you think you are doing? And i got to tell you, the American people are going to have to decide whether they've got enough courage to be led through fights like this so that the country can be saved. I think it's just that simple. Now, somebody's going to say, you're your grandstanding. <laughs> I think it's anybody can look at this place and say, oh, this Washington really works well for the American <laughs> people. If they do, I don't have much to say to them because they're going to think I'm irrational. But I think that about 90 percent of Americans think Washington does not work for the American people. And it is this. So if I can speak to 90 percent of the people and convince them that, you know, I'm trying we're doing something important to attack that problem, that's good enough for me. Well, look, that's that's really well said. Where where does this go from here? I mean, do, do you do you worry about you you get a deal and then uh, you get stabbed in the back, or or I mean, there was the Mike Rogers thing that you should all be denied committee seats. I mean, how, what's the lay of the land moving forward? Yeah, yes, yes, I worry about everything. This is this process is consequential, and it's one it's a, one of managing risks. It's, it's one of setting off potential and important benefit against risks. And the risks are numerous. And one of them is indeed that if you strike a deal, uh, you know, accept the turn of the notch on the, uh, on the pecking order, 
uh, then you, you get you get screwed, uh, and um, and it, it's a real risk. Uh, but it, but it, but every risk, but there are other risks. And the one thing that we can't do, though, in my view, and this is the place where I take issue with this. Some of these people call me and say, well, "What do you think you're doing?" Not taking any risks is part of the way. Is is really, I think, the reason we've gotten where we are. Member after member after member, entirely well-intentioned, have come through this place, and they've refused to take any risks. I will not do that. This country is about taking risk and overcoming jeopardy and producing prosperity and freedom. And I want it to continue for other generations of Americans, and I will not be a part of a timid people that I do not recognize. Amen to that. Hey, Congressman, before we get off here, let, let me, I want to switch gears with you real quick and, and ask you something more local. I've got a couple of affiliates now in North Carolina, and we, you had this bizarre situation last year where the legislature redistricted and then the Democrats, and they actually were partisan Democrats on the Supreme Court, said, oh, you can't do that. Case now before the Supreme Court, the Republicans have now taken over the Supreme Court in North Carolina. What's the state of play there with the, the redistricting in North Carolina? Uh, so... That's a great question. Uh, by the way, just to re- reiterate part of what you said, that court, we've not, I don't think there's ever been a more unabashedly, sharply partisan, Democrat, bullying, mm-hmm. poser of a court as that one. We won every, every appellate court seat that was up, our Court of Appeals, our Supreme Court, Republicans won them all. That's gonna, just going to change, as you said. But um, that's so abusive. This case that's in the United States Supreme Court is important. It has the opportunity, possibility of establishing the principle that the Constitution means what it says when it says that districting is placed into the hands specifically of the states through the legislatures thereof. And these state courts were not never given an opportunity to go out and make up stuff that is not in the state constitution or anywhere to impose their own districting scheme. So I believe that we need to hold course on what the current uh, legislation is that the, that's been struck down by the North Carolina Supreme Court so that the United States Supreme Court can finish the process of this case called Harper, uh, that is uh, Harper versus Moore, I believe it is, that is currently pending, will be decided by next June, has the opportunity to make a really landmark, important change or clarification of law. Uh, but I imagine right after that, I think that one way or the other, the United States, or excuse me, the North Carolina General Assembly is going to have a new districting plan, and I anticipate an entirely different course with respect to what comes then. Good. I, I hope so. It, it really, I don't, it, it boggled my mind that you can have literally open, like they ran as partisan Democrats on the Supreme Court, decide to redistrict because they didn't like the, just, I mean, talk about disrespect of the process. And of course, no Democrat complained at that. <laughs> just, no, they, they oh. don't care a bit. It, it, it's fine for them to do that when they're, as long as they're getting their, they're good. Exactly. Well, listen, I, I don't want to keep you. I know you've got to go vote for more speaker votes this afternoon, probably. So <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, and, and we're working. God bless you we're for what you're progress. doing. Good. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Congressman Dan Bishop of North Carolina. For Now, for this at the end, I, I knew he could handle the wild card because he was involved in the process and had been in the state legislature. I don't know if you, you guys understand this. North Carolina has an openly partisan judiciary. Like here in Georgia, where I am, you elect judges, but they're nonpartisan. Now, you sometimes know this guy was a Republican, this guy was a Democrat, but they run as nonpartisan. 
In North Carolina, they actually ran as Democrats. And the Democrats actually had the majority of the Supreme Court. And when the Republicans passed their legislative redistricting plan, the North Carolina Constitution prohibits the governor from vetoing it. So the Democratic governor took it to the Democrats on the state Supreme Court. They said, oh, no, it's totally unconstitutional. No, no, no. And now the Republicans have swept. They've taken over everything in the North Carolina judiciary. And so now you'll get a good thing. That's why this case is before the Supreme Court. Essentially, the legislature is arguing that when you have open partisans on a state court, those open partisans shouldn't be over, able to overrule the open partisans in the state legislature who draw the lines. I, I, I think North Carolina is on the right side of this. I don't know that the Supreme Court will agree. Uh, one of the groups that's actually been involved in, in some of the arguments on this and other cases has been Americans for Prosperity. I am a delighted person to partner with them because I love the organization. They've been around for a long time active in the Tea Party movement, helping conservatives advance their goals, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. You can go join them, and they actually, they're not a think tank in Washington where you just, oh, I'm going to fund this think tank in Washington and read a white paper, maybe get a calendar. No, they're actually a do tank. They actually go into states and do the work of the conservative movement, teaching you how to be an activist at the local level taking on issues in the states. So, for example, I'm in Georgia, and Georgia has what's called a con law, a certificate of need law. It causes health care to be more expensive. Con laws require there is a showing, a certificate of need that a local area needs a hospital. And what happens is big areas in the state fight the smaller areas wanting a hospital, and those big hospitals say, they don't need a hospital there. We can take care of them. And this little guy winds up not being able to get the hospital in the county he wants, and AFP is opposed to the con laws, and they're raising up their activists in Georgia, but around the country. They do different things. They're a great group. All you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up. Become an activist. They have local chapters all around the country. They make you a better more informed conservative activists, and they do it around the country. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan Nationwide. They can help your business grow. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for their program. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Coke went woke. Now, I broadcast from my flagship WSB in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the headquarters of Home Depot, Delta Airlines, and Coca-Cola. Quinn Hillier, writing in the Washington Examiner, has this. Uh, There is a Twitter feed about the beverage company, and it makes it look um, super cynical. To what Coke did. I, I've seen this Twitter thread. Uh, it comes from Callie Means, a crusader against the overuse of sugar additives and in favor of healthy food choices. Among a series of Callie Means damning claims against Coke, the most stringent one is, quote, early in my career, I consulted for Coke to ensure sugar taxes failed and soft drinks, I can't say the word soda, or pop. It's got to be soft drink. They write soda, but it's the soft drink. And soft drinks were included in food stamp funding. I say Coke's policies are evil because I saw inside the room the first step in the playbook was paying the NAACP and other civil rights groups to call opponents racist. The conversation inside these rooms was depressingly transactional. We, Coca-Cola, give you money. You paint our opponents as racist. There was more. 
And then others citing the Twitter thread reminded us Coke requires that its employees endure a learning plan to build an inclusive workplace. The curriculum provides access to a LinkedIn learning platform on a variety of topics, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. A whistleblowing employee two years ago made it sound much more than haphazard access. Instead, an essential part of Coca-Cola's required training tells employees to, quote, try to be less white. Why? Because to be less white is to be less oppressive, arrogant, certain, and defensive, and less ignorant, too. Coke has gone woke. But in all honesty... I mean, after the new Coke thing, try and get their employees to be a little open-minded and diverse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I remember the new Coke thing. I, I was uh, growing up overseas, and when I came back, suddenly there's new cake, Coke, and I'm like, what? But honestly, I, I, I still to this day think it was a cover. This is my conspiracy mind. Uh, when they brought the original Coke back, it really wasn't. Uh, they used high fructose corn syrup, and new Coke was the bridge. They didn't make the switch overnight. They did new Coke, and they came back. And I mean, why would you make Coke taste more like Pepsi? It should be the other way around. Um, nonetheless, Coke has gone woke. And they pay off people to try to prop up the sugar sugar industry. Why don't you go back to using real sugar, please, Coca-Cola? That's why I like to buy the Mexican Coke. You can actually cook with it because real cane sugar doesn't burn up in the oven like high fructose corn syrup.